following message is presented by Community Gospel Church in Bremen, Indiana. It is our great privilege to share this ministry with you. We in no way intend for this to be a replacement for the local church. It is our prayer that this would serve as a resource to help make Jesus Christ known in our congregation and other congregations gathering across the world. For more information about Community Gospel Church, visit www.communitygospelchurch.com. Well, good morning. It's an honor and delight to be here this morning with all of you. Although I now live in Dallas, Texas, I was born and raised on a dairy farm in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. And so I've always enjoyed being in the country of Indiana. It's such a delight to be here with you. There is nothing will make you feel older than to be in a church pastored by the son of the man who was one of your best friends at seminary. <laughs> I knew Jordan back when he was more depraved than he is now. And his son... <laughs> His dad looked at me and said, do you think there's any hope for him? <laughs> but all seriously, Jordan, it's such a delight to be here with, with you and with all of you as a congregation. I have to admit that he gave me such a kind and undeserved introduction. He had me so excited, I cannot wait to hear what I'm going to say. <laughs> but when you travel with a speaker, you get every introduction under the sun, but they're not always good news. One time in a church in Michigan for an all-week conference, and the pastor went to introduce me by saying, no, Larry came here on Saturday. He'll be here all week. We're looking forward to that. Then he'll be leaving us next Saturday. But he was a pastor that was, had a reputation for getting tongue-tied in the pulpit. And sure enough, he introduced me. What he said to the packed house was, Larry came here on Saturday. He'll be here all week. He's leaving us next Saturday, and we're looking forward to that. <laughs> so I sincerely appreciate his awfully kind introduction. But all seriousness, there is no one who steps on a platform, United States of America, any more grateful to God than I do. Because wherever I go, I do not have the time to give my life story. But I was born with an inherited speech defect, inherited from my dad's side of the family, that was so severe, I could not pronounce the word T-H-E, the. And therefore, medical doctors told me to give up all hope of ever being a public speaker. One day, senior high school with my head between my hands so no one could see I was crying because I had just been ridiculed what seemed like the 500th time. I told God, if you'll help me with this defect, I promise you, I will always use my voice for you. And starting that week, I started to have a control I had never had in my entire life. And that was the year speech therapy brought me to where I am today. But when you come from that kind of background, you don't take one opportunity for granted. It does not match audience of 200 or an audience of 250,000. It's such an honor to be here with you. But this morning, I would like to ask and answer a question. What kind of person do you have to be to lead someone to Jesus Christ? What kind of person do you have to be to lead someone to Jesus Christ? And if you have your Bible, I'm going to ask you to take it and turn me to one of the most exciting paragraphs in the entire Bible. It's found in that book called 1 Corinthians chapter 2. I'd like to start reading at the first verse. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, I'd like to start reading at verse 1. If you don't have a Bible with you, may I encourage you, look on someone sitting near you. If you have two, like a husband and a wife, for example, may I encourage you to look around you. You see, someone without a Bible will be so kind to take one of yours and share with them. But I want you to leave knowing where God said first, while I'm only going to repeat. So when you have a Bible in front of you, turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. I'd like to start reading at that first verse. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, beginning of verse 1. And I, brethren, I came to you. 
did not come to exorcist speech or wisdom, declaring to you the testimony of God. For I determined not know anything among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I am with you in weakness and fear and in much trembling. And my speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of human wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power, that your faith should not be in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Every single one of us have those times. We have daydreamed about something we'd really like to do. It may have to do with our vacation or may have to do with our vocation. It may concern our leisure or may concern our livelihood. But every one of those are at the time we have daydreamed about something we'd like to do. It may concern a hobby like building an airplane from start to finish. Or it may concern a home like building a house from floor to ceiling. But every single one of us at those times, we daydream about something we really like to do. But then we said, I'm not old enough, I'm not strong enough, I don't know enough. Then all of a sudden we have the opportunity and we find out it's not nearly as difficult as we have always made it. For example, from the time I was knee-high to Ekadiddy Hopper, the one thing I always wanted to do was go horseback riding. Now, I suppose one reason is those who know me well know I am one avid outdoorsman. And as you know, they always recommend you ride horseback outdoors instead of indoors. And then one day when I was a teenager just a few years ago, I had the opportunity because some teenagers with whom I was familiar were going horseback riding and invited me to join them. And although I was scared to no end, I could not turn down the invitation. All I said was a simple prayer. Here I sit upon a horse, about to take a certain course. If I should die before I'm through, that's one less ride I'll have to do. <laughs> and so that Saturday night, I showed up at the barn where a horse were crowd. The girl that owned the horse I was riding suggested a mount from the side instead of the back. In a few moments, we were off. I mean, I remember those yesterday. I was sitting so high in the saddle as to think, look out, Hollywood, here I come. No sooner did I enjoy my moment of fantasy when she reduced me to a moment of fact because she said, oh, by the way, Larry, that horse has a disgusting habit. I said, what do you mean? She said, sometime this sees a car coming, it will step over the path that car, thereby forcing it to stop. Then it will turn its rear end towards the car, back up till it feels its hind legs hit the bumper, and sit down on the hood of that car. And I looked towards her and saying, I'll just hold everything. I don't hope you think I am so dumb as to believe that. No sooner did I think that, and before God, I'm not lying or exaggerating. This car approached in the distance. As soon as that dumb, stupid, ignoramus excuse for horse saw the car, he stepped on the path of that car, thereby forcing to stop. Then he turned his southern hemisphere towards the car, backed up till he felt his hind legs hit the bumper, and sat down on the hood of that car. I have never been so embarrassed in my entire life because there I sat looking like a spaceship already for takeoff. Now, there's no doubt in my mind, had I known then what I know now about horseback riding, I could have kept that from happening. One thing I had done is shot the horse. But that day, I learned a fundamental principle in horseback riding. Because the girl that owned the horse I was riding said to me, Larry, there's one thing remember when always you ride horseback, and that is you always control the horse. 
you never let a horse control you. And since then, I've had no trouble horseback riding. Because the first thing I do is walk around the head of that horse, look eyeball to eyeball and say, so help me. If you sit down on the hood of a car, I'm going to bust your bumper. <laughs> and all of us have had those times. We daydream about something we would like to do. Then we say, I don't old enough. I'm not strong enough. I don't know enough. Then we had the opportunity. And we find out it's not nearly as difficult as I have always made it. Well, the thing I find interesting in that connection, study after study have proven that 5% of all believers ever lead someone to Jesus Christ, 95% don't. But the reason they don't is not they don't want to. I found people like you daydream about what it'd be like to lead someone to Christ in their life. One time I had the privilege of having breakfast with a sportscaster I led to Christ. He said, Larry, if I could eat one person of Christ in my life, I would be so excited. But they say, I just don't know enough. I'm just not brave enough. I'm not persuasive enough. Well, quite frankly, this paragraph contains the answer that some of us may have been looking for for 50 years. Because if you know what was about Paul, God used evangelized Corinth then what you know God needs in you to evangelize your community. And the thing that's interesting is, what you think you need, you don't. What you don't think you need, you do. But it's this paragraph that takes a nervousness out of evangelism. And frankly, that's our problem, isn't it? We are so nervous. Like the man who called the hospital, he said, please, 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 get ready, please, get ready, get ready, please, get ready, get ready. My wife, I'm bringing her in, please, she's having a baby, please, she's having a baby, please, get ready. My wife, I'm bringing her in, she's having a baby, she's having a baby, please, get ready, I'm bringing her in, she's having a baby. And the nurse says, calm down. Let's ask you a few questions. Is this her first child? He said, no, this is her husband. (laughs) (laughs) But we are so nervous at this paragraph that takes the nurse out of evangelism. Because if you know what was about Paul, God, you evangelized Corinth, then you know what God needs you to evangelize your community. Now, the first thing he said you need takes care of all those of us who say, I just don't know enough. Because our first thing he said you need is a simple message. Look at verse 1. And I, brethren, I came to you, did not come to access of speech or wisdom, declaring to the testimony of God. Now that phrase, access of speech or wisdom, means a superiority of speech or wisdom. What he's saying is, my message was not characterized by fancy words or philosophic depth. Now, please don't misunderstand. That was not because Paul's intelligence was limited. There are some people that feel Christians are not that intelligent. Josh McDowell said before he came to Christ, I always figured Christians had two brains. The one was lost, the other one was out looking for it. <laughs> and there are some people who feel Christians are just about as intelligent as a man that came to work one morning and he had two bright red ears. And somebody said to him, what in the world happened to you? He said, I did the dumbest thing. As I was getting ready this morning, I was ironing my shirt, and the phone rang. And I picked up the iron instead of the phone. And they said, oh, no. But what happened to the other ear? He said, the same guy called back. (laughs) And there are some people who are Christians who are just about that intelligent. But rest assured, that was not Paul the Apostle. You must remember, he grew up in Tarsus, a city noted for its intellectuality. He mastered the Greek language. 
He had a knowledge of Roman law and custom, second to none. He studied under Gamidio, one of the most distinguished teachers of his day. Had he been on a panel, he could have debated the best. Had he been confirmed with an atheist, he could have laid out a proof for the existence of God. Had he been on a TV game show, he could have answered the one million dollar question. Had he been on Nightline, he would not have been blindsided by those tricky questions. The reason he did not demonstrate superiority as feature wisdom was not because his vocabulary was limited. It was because he limited his vocabulary. It was not because it was a person whom words did not come easy. It was because he chose the easy words. It was not because he could not, but because he would not. Because having told you what his message was not, he then told you what it was. Look at verse 2. For I determined. That means I made up my mind. This was not a decision he made one mile in the city. This was a decision he made one mile from the city. This was not afterthought. This was before thought. For I determined. Not know anything among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Term Jesus Christ refers to his person. Term him crucified refers to his work. So when you heard Paul, the first thing he gave you is not the proof of his deity. It was a proclamation of his death. From the first time he preached Christ and him crucified. From the second time he preached Christ and crucified. From the third time he preached Christ and crucified. So you ne- never left his presence saying, what a brilliant speaker. He always left his presence saying, what a beautiful savior. And the first thing he said you need is a simple message. And for that reason, I've been telling people for 41 years, if you know Christ died for my sins and rose from the dead, congratulations. You're now prepared to tell anybody anywhere because God was a person with a simple message. As I've been saying for 41 years, the Bible is six, six books, but the gospel is 10 words. Christ died for sins and rose from the dead. What's the gospel? Say it with me. Christ died for sins and rose from the dead. What's the gospel? Christ died for sins and rose from the dead. What's the gospel? Christ died for sins and rose from the dead. The Bible is six, six books, but the gospel is 10 words. What are they in? Christ died for our sins and rose from the dead. And for that reason, if you know Christ died for my sins and rose from the dead, congratulations. You're now prepared to speak to anybody, anywhere, because God wants a person with a simple message. And so many times we think that in order to evangelize, you have to be able to explain every verse in the Bible, refute every objection unbeliever raised, answer any question they have. And do you know what we often do? We prepare answers that don't even fit the questions lost people today are asking. I love the story of the man from France who came to New York City and he wanted to earn some extra money. The problem is he did not know any English. But he met the owner of a fruit market who knew French and could speak to him in his language, who was trying to get away for lunch. And he said, look, I'll pay you to watch my fruit market while I go to lunch. But the man from France says, but I don't know any English. And the owner of the market said, that would not be a problem because the most popular thing I sell are apples and there's only three questions they're going to ask you. The first question we ask you is, how much are they? Just say 25 cents a piece or five for order. He told them how to say 25 cents a piece or five for order. The second thing they might ask is, are they any good? I think honesty is the best policy. 
So just say, and sometimes yes and sometimes no. He told them how to say, sometimes yes and sometimes no. Third thing they might say is, I don't think I'll buy any. I don't want my market to be known for high pressure. So just say, if you don't, somebody else will. He told them how to say, if you don't, somebody else will. He says, all you got to remember, 25 cents a piece, five for dollar. Sometimes yes, sometimes no. If you don't, somebody else will. All you got to remember, 25 cents a piece, five for dollar. Sometimes yes, sometimes no. If you don't, somebody else will. All you got to remember, 25 cents a piece, five for dollar. Sometimes yes, sometimes no. If you don't, somebody else will. All you got to remember, 25 cents a piece, five for dollar. Sometimes yes, sometimes no. If you don't, somebody else will. All you got to remember, 25 cents a piece, five for dollar. Sometimes yes, sometimes no. If you don't, somebody else will. With that, he left the fruit market and left the freshman in charge. A few moments later, a policeman came in and did not realize this man did not know any English. And he said to him, could you tell me what time it is? Frenchman said, 25 cents a piece or five for dollar. <laughs> policeman said, are you trying to get smart with me? The freshman said, sometimes yes and sometimes no. <laughs> policeman said, I feel like taking you right off to jail. Frenchman said, if you don't, somebody else will. <laughs> And what we do is we prepare answers, though in for the question lost people today are asking. And if you know Christ died for my sins and rose from the dead, you're prepared to talk to anyone anywhere because God wants a person with a simple message. And Paul did not enter court as a philosopher, as a debater. He entered as a proclaimer. Dawson Trommel, who found an organization called the Navigators, one time said, Soul winners are not soul winners because of what they know, but because of who they know and how much they want others to know him. As I told many people, God's greatest desire is not for men who can defend the Bible. God's greatest desire is for a person who will declare the Christ of whom the Bible speaks. And for that reason, if you know Christ died for my sins and rose from the dead, congratulations. Because you and I are prepared to speak to anyone, anywhere. What's the gospel? Say it again. Christ died for our sins and rose from the dead. And if you know Christ died for my sins and rose from the dead, you're not prepared to speak to anyone, anywhere. Because God puts a person with a simple message. And you know what I find interesting about that? Do you know who leads more to Christ than anybody else? Sure you do. It's our brand new what? Christian. Know what's interesting? They don't know anything. <laughs> All they know is Christ died for me. And they tell him, him, her, and her, and lead our world to Christ. And you need a simple message. And again, for that reason, if you know Christ died for my sins and rose from the dead, you are now prepared to speak to anybody, anywhere, because that's the gospel. I love the story of the man fresh out of seminary who was candidating in his first church in a university town. And he was so concerned about the criticism that he might encounter. And so he got the wisdom of his wise and godly dad. He said, Dad, I'm so afraid I'll be hampered in my preaching. If I mention something about geology, there's a person who's forgotten more than I'll ever know. If I mention something about Greek literature... One with a doctor's degree in that field might catch me in some inaccuracy. If I mention something about American history, I'll feel so inferior in the presence of a learned person or a congregation. Dad, what in the world do I do? And his wise and godly father says, Son, just tell them about Jesus. 
they probably never heard about him. And you need to be a person with a simple message. But then he only says there's a second thing you need. This takes care of all those who say, I'm just not brave enough. Because the second thing he says you need is an obedient, even though fearful spirit. Look at verse 3. I was with you in weakness and fear and in much trembling. See, the philosophers that day had the attitude, give me your questions, I'll answer all of them. Give me your objections, I'll refute all of them. They kind of remind you of three boys bragging about the intellectual ability of their dads. And one boy said, I'll tell you, <laughs> my dad is so smart, he can talk for one hour on any subject. Second boy said, I'll tell you, my dad is so smart, he can talk for two hours on any subject. Third boy said, I'll tell you, my dad is so smart, he can talk for three hours, not even have a subject. <laughs> That's what the philosophers of this day were like. They've talked for three hours, not even have a subject. Instead, look at Paul's demeanor in verse 3. I was with you in weakness. In weakness. And that word weakness refers to everything from a thorn in the flesh, whatever that was, to his absence of physical strength due to his unimpressive build. Most historians picture Paul as a man who was bony and bow-legged. The last person who would have ever won a weightlifting contest or made it on the cover of Fitness Magazine. They say, I'm with you in weakness and in fear. That word fear refers to everything from the weakness of the city that made him unpopular. Hostility of the Jews that made him unwanted. Sometimes he felt like walking right through the front door saying everything. Sometimes he felt like walking through the back door saying nothing. Being an avid hunter, I love the story of the two hunters that went on a grizzly bear hunt in Alaska. And all of a sudden they came across footprints of what they were convinced was a man-eating grizzly. Right there they froze. Then the one hunter said to the other hunter, you go that way, see where he went. I'll go this way, see where he came from. <laughs> the most of the time, Paul like thought like saying, you go over there and speak to him, I'll go back over here and pray for you. They said there were three. Weakness and fear and much trembling. That word trembling refers to the quivering on the outside of the body, the effect of the nervousness on the inside. Had you been in front of him, you'd have seen his lips quivering. Had you been behind him, you'd have seen his legs shaking. But he had an obedient, even though fearful spirit. He knew there was a proclamation to be made, and God wanted him to make it. He knew there was an announcement to be given, and God wanted him to give it. He knew there was a message to be shared, God wanted him to share it. Did you notice, verse 3 does not say, I stayed at home in weakness, fear, much trembling. It says, I was with you in weakness, in fear, much trembling. Had an obedient, even though fearful spirit. And let's face it, one of the biggest problems we have in evangelism, yours truly included, is a problem of fear. And sometimes that fear makes us panic. And we can do some of the craziest things. One of my jobs while I was in graduate school was at a, as a four-brush salesman, door-to-door selling of household goods. What you do is walk up to a house and say, good afternoon, I'm your four-brush salesman. Then as a friendly gesture, you would say, would you like a letter opener? Would you like a barbecue brush? And then go on to tell about the other items you had for sale. Well, there was another classmate of mine that was also a full-to-brush salesman. And this guy was such a gentleman. He would not even open an oyster without knocking on the shelfers. And so he walked up to a house. He said, good afternoon. I'm your full-to-brush salesman. 
And she said, oh, go away. I am so fed up with life, I'm thinking about committing suicide. And although he knew she was just making an exclamatory remark, he was so shocked, he didn't know what to say. She looked at her and said, well, would you like a letter opener? (laughs) (laughs) And sometimes we are so fearfully panicked, and we can do some of the craziest stuff. And wherever I travel to Manjuris, People like you say to me, how do you avoid ever being afraid? And my answer is, you don't. This side of heaven, you will always be afraid. But you take care of your obedience. God will always take care of your fear. And the people of Angeli don't do it because they're not afraid. They are scared to death. They do it in spite of fear, not without fear. Louise Plow, who's called the Bildergram of South America, one time made the comment, when it comes to witnessing to your neighbor, even evangelist has problems. Leighton Ford, who worked with the Bilderbrand Association, made the comment, I have preached to crowds of 60,000 people, and yet I still get nervous. Talk to someone about Christ. And if you ask Larry Moyer, when was the last time you were afraid to evangelize? I'll tell you, about a person I witnessed to two days ago. But he's saying, yeah, you need a fear medium even though fearful spirit, have you take care of your obedience, God will always take care of your fear. And the people of Angeli don't do it without fear. They do it in spite of fear. Back during the Civil War, General Lee one time sent word to Stonewall Jackson saying, now the next time you ride in the direction of House Headquarters, I wish to see you on a matter of no great importance. As soon as Stonewall Jackson received the word, the next morning, he saddled his horse, and against a storm of wind and snow, he rode nine miles to General Lee's headquarters. When he got there, Lee was surprised to see him. He said, my message said, I wish to see you on a matter of no great importance. And Stonewall Jackson said, but that's just the point. You said you wished to see me. And your smallest wish is my supreme command. God needs those who say, your smallest wish is my supreme command. And if you take your obedience, God will always take care of your fear. And you need obedient, even though fearful spirit. So the first thing you say you need is a simple message. If you know Christ died for my sins and rose from the dead, congratulations. You're now prepared to speak to anyone, anywhere. He said you need obedient, even though fearful spirit. Have you take your obedience, he'll always take care of your fear. But then he says there's a third thing you need, and this takes care of all those who say, I'm just not persuasive enough. Because the third thing he says you need is the right perspective. Look at verse 4. And my speech and my preaching are not with persuasive words of human wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit of power. They are faced without being the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. You see, Paul remembered what you and I forget. People are not brought to Christ by a system of logic. They're not brought to Christ by the power of persuasion. They're not brought to Christ by the articulation of argument. They're brought to Christ when the Holy Spirit takes the truth of the gospel, drives home their heart, and causes them to come to God by faith. They're brought to Christ by the Holy Spirit, not the human spirit. They're brought to Christ what verse 4 calls the demonstration of the spirit and power. That means 
the proving power of the Holy Spirit. That brought the cry for the Holy Spirit, not the human spirit. That's why there's not one verse in that book that says, bring the lost to Christ. Because only God can do that. Instead, what the Bible says is, bring Christ to the lost. And you have to have the right perspective. Now, frankly, you know just as well as I do, perspective is key to just about everything in life. For example, I am so amused as I travel across the country to see how Americans feel about their birthdays. And for the first half of their life, they couldn't enjoy them anymore. And then all of a sudden, that number 40 comes along, and they couldn't enjoy them any less. (laughs) In fact, I found from ages 1 to 40, people enjoy their birthdays. From 40 to 60, they endure their birthdays. From 60 to 80, they abhor their birthdays. And after 80, they can't remember when their birthday is. <laughs> when you stop and think about it, every birthday you have ought to be more exciting than one before. Because studies have proven the more you have, the longer you live. <laughs> and that same perspective is true in evangelism. You have to have the right perspective. Arguments can be answered with arguments. Logic is answered with logic. Persuasion is answered with persuasion. But in order for conversion to take place, the Holy Spirit has to drive the truth home to the person's heart and cause him to come to God through faith. Paul did not want anyone leaving his presence saying, I believe because Paul convinced me. He wanted everyone leaving saying, I believe because God convinced me. As verse 5 says, that your faith should not be in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. And I made a policy to say to those who come to Christ in our outreaches, what did I say to convince you of your need to come to Christ? It is so honoring to God how many times they have said, all I can tell you, Larry, is that God was speaking to me. One time we had a woman come to Christ. She was on drugs, in Satan worship, in adultery, and homosexuality, just those four. <laughs> I said, what did I say that convinced you you need to come to Christ? She said, Larry, I did everything I could to avoid listening to you. I started by counting all the pounds of wood that were behind you. Then I went to counting your teeth. <laughs> she said, all I remember is two things. You said, I don't care what you've done. God loves you. Then you gave an illustration of one person dying for another. And I knew God was speaking to me. And she's a growing Christian today. And you have to have the right perspective. God does not say bring the lost to Christ. God's saying bring Christ to the lost. Because only he can bring the lost to Christ. Your job's contact, his job's conversion. Your job's presentation, his job's persuasion. Your job's sowing, and his job's saving. And that's why I've never said to one person on earth, and I never will, how many of you led to Christ? Because that's not your job. What I have said is, how many of you presented Christ to? And if you do the conversing, he'll do the converting. You're probably going to be surprised to hear this from an evangelist. By which years ago, we would have never coined the phrase soul winning. Because I'm sorry, that's just not our job. That's his job. 
Our job is gospel sharing. His job is soul winning. And we do the gospel sharing. He'll do the soul winning. Sometimes you'll be the fourth of 15 people God's going to use. Sometimes you'll be the fifth of 25. Sometimes you'll be the 17th of 84. It really gets exciting if you're the 19th of 19. But if you do the presenting, he'll do the persuading. If you do the contacting, he'll do the converting. If you do the selling, he'll do the saving. And all you have to have is the right perspective. God is not saying bring the lost to Christ. God's saying bring Christ the lost. And if you bring Christ the lost, he'll bring the lost to Christ. That our faith may not be in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Now my point this morning is I find people like ourselves daydream about what would be likely one person to Christ. I don't know how many people have said to me, Larry, you have no idea how many have led to Christ my dreams. But then we say, I just don't know enough. I'm just not brave enough. I'm not just persuasive enough. Paul said you need three things. First of all, you need a simple message. If you know Christ died for my sins and rose from dead, you're now prepared to speak to anybody, anywhere. The Bible is 66 books. The gospel is 10 words. Again, what are those 10 words? Christ died for our sins and rose from dead. You need an obedient, even though fearful spirit. And if you take care of your obedience, God will always take care of your fear. And you have to have the right perspective. God's not saying, go win them. God's saying, go share. And if you do the gospel sharing, he'll do the soul winning. And I could take everything this paragraph is saying and reduce it to one sentence, I hope by God you'll never forget. And that is, you don't have to be a brilliant person with a clever mind, but a broken person with a clear message. You don't need to be a brilliant person with a clever mind, but a broken person with a clear message. And that's why the people God use evangelism don't look like they just walked out of the bookstore. They look like they just walked out of the prayer closet. They're not people who are hung up in their degrees. They're people who are hung up in their discipleship. They're people not, not people impressed with their talent. They're people impressed with their teacher. They're not people who want you to know everything there is know about them. They're people who want you to know everything there is know about him. Because you don't need to be a brilliant person with a clever mind, but a broken person with a clear message. I don't want you to leave that here with that in your head. I want you to leave it with you in your, that in your heart. So say it with me. You don't need to be a brilliant person with a clever mind, but a broken person with a clear message. Say it again. You don't need to be a brilliant person with a clever mind, but a broken person with a clear message. Now let's turn to you to an I and say it again. I don't need to be a brilliant person with a clever mind, but a broken person with a clear message. Say it again. I don't need to be a brilliant person with a clever mind, but a broken person with a clear message. Say it again. I don't need to be a brilliant person with a clever mind, but a broken person with a clear message. Say it again. I don't need to be a brilliant person with a clever mind, but a broken person with a clear message. God's given me two spiritual gifts. The one's evangelism, the other's repetition. <laughs> Say it again. <laughs>
I don't need to be a brilliant person with a clever mind, but a broken person with a clear message. Say it again louder and clearer than ever. I don't need to be a brilliant person with a clever mind, but a broken person with a clear message. And therefore, you're broken and you're clear. God will use you to populate heaven if you want. We even start this week. And knowing him, it wouldn't be surprising if he started today. Years ago, there was a housewife in the Midwest that came to Christ. And she was so excited about what Christ had done for her. She took on evangelistic outreach in a nearby university. What I mean by that is she wrote to all the girls in the women's dormitory and said, I would like to come and speak to you about spiritual things. Many said, no thanks. But many said, come on. But she encountered opposition in a place she never anticipated it. When one of the girls assigned up to talk to her, turned out to be a believer. And she said to the new convert, I don't think you ought to be doing what you're doing. You don't know the question university students are asking. You don't know the issue university students are facing. You could do more harm than good. New convert said, well, I disagree. I could do more harm than good, but I don't disagree. I am not the best person. Would you see to it? Everyone, this women's dormitory, here's the good news. Christ died for you. And the believer said, no, I don't think I know how. And besides, I am not willing. Newcomers said, that's what I find so disgusting. Because of people like you who are not willing to do it, God has to rely upon people like me. You know what? God's been relying upon people like you and me for years. And he's going to continue to do so. You know why? Sure you do. Say it again. (laughs) I don't need to be a brilliant person with a clever mind, but a broken person with a clear message. And to that, all God's people ought not only say amen. You ought to say hallelujah. Let's pray together. This morning, as our heads to battle, our eyes are closed. Two things. First of all, I am always concerned there could be someone here. It's hard for you to share Christ because you don't know Christ. Or know Christ, you have to first of all know you're a sinner. You have to recognize Christ died on a cross. You have to put your trust in Christ alone to save you. Not your good life, not your baptism, not your church attendance, not Christ and your church attendance, but Christ alone and you're on your way to save heaven. The moment you place your trust in Christ alone, it's at that second you receive completely free the gift of eternal life. In a moment, I'm just going to pause for just a moment. If you're here and you cannot say, I know I'm going to heaven, Right there in the quietness of your heart, just tell God, I'm a sinner. But your son died for me, and this moment, I'm trusting your son to save me. Just there in the quietness of your heart, just tell God, I know I'm a sinner. But your son died for me, and today, right now, I'm trusting Christ alone as my only way to heaven. Just tell God that in the privacy of your heart.
And wherever you're seated, this second, God will give you completely free the gift of eternal life. If you've never settled it, settle it right now. Now, as heads to my eyes are closed, if you've done that, could I ask one favor? Put your name and address on any sheet of paper you have and give it to Jordan or give it to me so we can see you get information on how to grow as a Christian and live a life that says, thank you. If you trusted Christ this morning, say, Larry, I sold it this morning. I trusted Christ right there this morning. Put your name and address on any sheet of paper you have Give it to Jordan, give it to me. And we'll see you get information how to grow as a Christian. But if you have trusted Christ, let me ask you something. How will your life be different after today? Don't tell me. Tell God right now. Our gracious Father, forgive us. Forgive us for time we make so complicated what you make so simple. Had you asked us what kind of Christian need to be lead someone to Christ, we'd have probably written about 10 books and said nothing. You write five verses and say everything. Lord, we pray you might help us all to do what this paragraph says. So what wasn't Paul that you used to evangelize Corinth? could be in us to evangelize our community in Indiana. For asking Jesus' name and thanksgiving. Amen. One more thing. If you have ever in your life wanted to lead one person to Christ before you die, may I ask you, may I beg you, give me one hour of your time tonight at 6 o'clock when I'll be bringing a mini seminar called What is so scary about evangelism? How do you overcome those fears? I'll be discussing the four fears all of us have, myself included. Talk to anyone about Christ. Each one who comes will get a printed handout to take notes and take home with you. And you will leave convinced as never before. You can leave someone to Christ before you die. See, if you have ever in your life just the one to leave someone to Christ before you die, may I beg you, even if you've made other plans, can you possibly try to change them? And be with us for one hour tonight at 6 o'clock. I'll be talking about what is so scary about evangelism, how to overcome those fears, Looking forward to that mini-seminar together. But thank you for joining us for that time. Looking forward to it. Thank you for listening to the Community Gospel Church Podcast. If you would like to support this ministry financially, simply log on to communitygospelchurch.com and click the Contribute tab.